If we can all stand for the reading of the word of the Lord. Amen. I do want to echo what Brother Kitwell mentioned, um, that um, it is important for a shepherd to find rest. Shepherding over a flock of so many. Amen. And I know we all feel the same way, so um, let us continue to keep pastor in prayer. And I do want to honor pastor for how he disciples us, how he takes care of all of us, not just some of us, but he has a heart for all of us. Amen. And so I am blessed to be under amazing leadership. I thank God for our first lady. Amen. And I thank God for you and just the opportunity to serve you in this hour with this word that the Lord has shared. In Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 through 16. Amen. If you have it, say amen. If you don't have it, you can look up there on the screen if it is up there. Amen. It will be up there soon. Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. Amen. And it says, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket. But on a lampstand and it gives light to all who are in the house. Everybody say all. Verse 16, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus is giving his disciples a very simple word. And his simple word that he's given the disciples is that that dark world that you're a part of, that very confusing, deceptive, sinful world that you're among, I need you to go and shine. I need you to be the light to the world. I don't need you to try to control the brightness of the light. I don't need you to do the on and off switch thing and you turn off and on your Christianity whenever you're around certain crowds. He's saying that I need you to go out and be the lights of the world. In other words, when you walk into a room, you need to be obvious. When you walk into a room, you should stand out. There should be something different in your conduct. There should be something different in your behavior. There should be something different in your modesty and your standards, amen? There should be something that distinguishes you from somebody else who don't have what you have. Disciples, I need you to go out into the world, and I need you to be a light, is what Jesus is telling his disciples. He's saying, don't hide it. Don't keep it to yourself. Don't make up excuses onto why you don't want to shine in this area, but you're okay shining in this area on Sunday. But he's saying that when you go out into the world, especially the world, I need you to shine bright. He says that you are the light of the world. Turn to your neighbor and say that you are the light of the world. Amen. With every hand lifted up, Father, right now in the name of Jesus, we come before you. Father, we thank you, dear Lord, for what we feel in this atmosphere, dear Lord, and we believe that you are not done working. We believe that you're not done moving. We believe, dear God, that there are some souls that you need to minister to, some eyes that you need to open, dear God. We believe right now in the name of Jesus, dear God, that if we would draw close to you in this hour, dear God, that if we would just get behind this word, dear God, that if you would just bless our ears, that we would have an ear to hear what the Spirit of God is saying, dear God, that we would end this service, dear God, on 10. We would end this service, dear God, having a radical move of the Spirit, dear God. And Father, we want to thank you in advance. Let everybody say amen. Amen. You can be seated in Jesus' name. I want to preach to you on this simple title, Blessed Through It All. Blessed Through It All. And I often don't have a second title like Pastor does, but I have a second title this time. <laughs> amen. Devil, it's too late devil, it's too late. 
It's too late for you to convince me that God is not real, that he doesn't have a plan for my life. It's too late for you to convince me that I have no value and that life is meaningless. Devil, you're just a little too late. Devil, you've come too late to convince me that miracles are not possible and that God does not answer prayers. God has been too good to me to not believe. Can anybody agree to that? Can anybody attest to that? That God has been too good to you for you not to believe, for you not to respond when you're in his atmosphere? Amen. Brother Kidwell was mentioning, amen, earlier about camp this week. And this week, we ended three weeks of summer camp. We started off with Explore Camp, then Senior High, and lastly, Junior High Camp. And I had the privilege of serving this past week at Junior High. And I was able to witness something that I haven't seen among the young people before. I believe that my eyes were opened in a unique way, in an interesting way that Brother Kilwell was alluding to earlier. And I say that because many times at youth camp meetings, there seems to be this gradual buildup where youth coming in from all across the state, many of them coming from different backgrounds, troubled backgrounds, are all coming to camp, and many of them just to have fun. And over the days, there is this momentum in the spirit where you can see that youth are becoming inspired by the preached word of God. Friday comes around and youth are charged to respond to the gospel and live out and move the mission of the gospel. This camp was a little different. Day one, youth responded to the word of God. During worship, with faces to the carpet, tears streaming down their faces, hands lifted up and dancing and singing praises unto the Lord. Before and during the move of the spirit of God. Young people ushered in the presence of God. And many times we struggle in this area because we wait until we feel something before we respond. But these young people came with the spirit of expectation. These young people came hungry. They wanted something, and they knew that God was real, and they ushered in the presence of God. Before they felt anything, uh, before altar calls started, they were already flooding the altars. Before service even started, they were at the altar praying. They were at the altar worshiping. They were praising God. They responded immediately on the edge of their seats as they heard the preached word of God. They came desperate and expecting God to meet their needs. And many of the young people left motivated to use their testimony as an inspiration to their peers back home. They realized their influence and found that they have light. But there were two youth among many of them. There were, there were two that stood out to me. There was this one who was about 14 years old, excuse me, 13 years old, and in the second day, the, the day minister was preaching, and then the spirit broke out, and everybody began to dance, and everybody began to shout unto the Lord. They didn't wait until he was done with the message. They, they got it the minute he started speaking. The spirit of God was already there, and the music began to play, and everybody was worshiping and singing praises unto God, but there was somebody that was worshiping just a little different. There was a 13-year-old boy who was worshiping. You know when God has done something to an individual because their worship is just a little different. It's just a little bit more expressive. It's just a, a little bit more pronounced. Amen? Has anybody ever had just a, a little different kind of praise when God has done something in your life? Amen? When you just worship a little different and you just, you just jump a little bit different and you just begin to praise God a little bit different, his worship and his praise was just a little bit different. 
And towards the end of the service, the, 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 the minister went up to the young man and wanted to understand what was going on. And this young man shared with this ministry, he had said, when I came here to camp, I was battling with depression and anxiety. And I've been dealing with it for a long time. And he was saying that it's only day two, and I already feel as though that God has liberated me from that depression and that anxiety because he understood that God inhabits the praises of his people. And he understood that if he can just worship God, that he would understand that where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And so he began to worship and magnify the name of the Lord. Amen? His worship was different, but it was not based on his circumstances. He worshiped God before God began to move. And when God began to move, he continued to worship God a little longer. Amen? The second individual, he was 12 years old. I believe it was his first year at camp. And this was day five. It was Friday. It was the last service. And he was sitting in the back of the tabernacle, the back of the sanctuary by himself. And if you know anything about this young man, if you were there at camp, every time you saw him leading up until Friday, he was always in somebody's face, loving on them, giving them high fives. If you needed any help picking up trash, he was the first one to volunteer during service. He was the first one to the altar. He was the one that I saw. His face was literally on the carpet. And when I say his face was on the carpet, his forehead was on the carpet, his nose was on the carpet, his entire face was on the carpet and he was crying and travailing and he was praising God and so it was odd that on a Friday the last service or excuse me the last day that he is in a back pew by himself and so I went back there and I asked him why are you here by yourself how come you're not with the youth group and his words was I feel alone up there I don't feel as though that anybody loves me I don't think they like me. I, I try to be friends with many people, but I don't think that they're showing me the same kind of light that I'm showing on them. I'm paraphrasing, of course. This young man, 12 years old, is battling with loneliness and value, self-worth. He felt by himself in a room full of his brothers and sisters. And instead of immersing himself more and more in, inside people who are supposed to be there for him, Instead of going further and further inside the body so that they can encourage him and uplift in him, he extracted himself from the very people he needed to be around. And the enemy, when he extracts you from the people that you need to be around, his voice becomes louder in your ears. Amen? When you're not around the body of Christ and you're going through a difficult time and you're by yourself, the enemy's voice gets a little louder. And he was dealing with the voice of the enemy because it got a little Louder and louder and louder and louder. And he was struggling with what many people struggle with today. Especially guys. Because as he was explaining this to me, he was trying his best to hold back these tears. But you can see his eyes tearing up. He didn't want to come off as weak. He didn't want to be vulnerable. And a lot of times you just need to release those tears to God. A lot of times you just need to release that hurt and that pain to God, amen? This camper had no idea that he won or that he was going to win that evening camper of the year. He had no idea that he was voted on by his peers to win camper of the year. The same people that he was shining a light on, the same people that he was serving and helping out, they voted him to be camper of the year. He felt the very people who loved him did not love him. 
the very people who were supposed to be his brothers and his sisters in the faith, he felt as though that they did not love him because he removed himself from the very ones who were supposed to be his family, who were supposed to be the light in his life. Amen? The devil has a strategy, and that strategy is that for you to respond to the feelings that he throws at you as if you have no choice but to accept them. I'm going to say that again. The devil's strategy is for you to respond to the feelings that he throws at you as if you have no choice but to accept them. He wants you to feel lonely and like you are not loved so that like this young man, you will begin to isolate yourself from the very people God has positioned in your life to be of a blessing to you and so that you can also be a blessing to them. He removed himself from being a blessing to other people because he felt as though that it was not being reciprocated. Amen? The Bible says that we wrestle not, hear me carefully, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against principalities. We wrestle against things that we cannot see. We wrestle against high places. We wrestle against spiritual wickedness. We wrestle against feelings. That's what we fight. We don't fight our brother and our sister. They're not the issue. It's the spirit that might be operating behind our brother and sister sometimes, maybe. But our brothers and our sisters are not the issue. The circumstances of life are not even the issue. Amen? Flesh and blood is not the problem. And I want to tell you this morning, I want to give you a heads up. The devil has an agenda in this understanding of warfare for your life. And we don't think about that. The devil literally has a plan for your life. And this plan did not start at random or, and it did not start when you finally surrendered your life over to God. But this plan of the enemy, I, when I was growing up in youth group, one of the things that I often heard was that the devil has a candy bar for everybody. Has anybody ever heard that before? The devil has a candy bar for everybody. He knows what's going to provoke you. He knows what's going to entice you. He, he knows if, if anything's going to lead you to, to temptation, he knows exactly what that thing is going to be. He knows that if you do not like Reese Cups, that you like Snicker Bars. He knows that if you don't like Snicker Bars, he knows that you like Hershey's. And if you don't like Hershey's, he knows that you like Cookies and Cream Hershey's. Who likes Cookies and Cream Hershey's? He, he knows what you like. Amen? He has a plan for your life. He knows what it's going to take to get, to, your, to get your attention. He knows what it's going to take to distract you. And this plan did not start at random. It did not start just because he woke up one day and he did not have anything to do. But this plan started at conception. It started when you first became an idea. And unfortunately, there are so many lives that are snatched between conception and birth because of this plan. I'm going to say that again because there's a message within that. Unfortunately, there are so many lives that are snatched between conception and birth because of this plan. This plan is not only for your life, but this plan is for your family's life. And he has a plan for our city and he has a plan for our nation. And the devil has been pretty busy lately, if I say so myself. His plan is very simple, even though he's deceptive, even though he's complicated, even though he's an author of lies. His plan, his strategy is very simple. It's less light and more darkness. 
Less good and more evil. Less truth and more lies. Less clarity and more deception. And in order for him to successfully execute this plan, the devil only has to convince you of two things. In order for the enemy to successfully execute the plan that he's had in your life since the moment that you became an idea, he only has to convince you of two things. The number one thing is that you are simply an only flesh living and surrounded by darkness. If he can convince you that you're just flesh, that you're just matter, that, 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 that the best that God has to offer you is just flesh and bones, that there's no life after death, that God does not exist and that he's not real, then it makes sense for you to, to embrace sin. It makes sense for you to embrace depression. It makes sense for people to be suicidal. If all you are is just flesh and bones and the world that we live in, if, if this is as good as it gets, do whatever you want. If he can convince you of that, then he has you. He got you. The second thing is what God has to offer you is not enough. That's the second thing that the enemy tries to convince us of. Because many people, the devil can convince some people that God is not real. But he knows that he cannot convince the church that God is not real. He knows because we've seen too much. We've been a part of too much. We've experienced the miracles, the signs, and the wonders. He saved our families. His spirit lives on the inside of us. Amen? But if he can convince you that what God has to offer you is not enough, then he has you. Then he has deceived you. It all started in the Garden of Eden when the devil deceived Eve and Adam. God created paradise for mankind and said to them what was good for them and what was not good for them. It was clearly communicated. Just like the Bible, the word of God is clearly communicated. It's not rocket science. There's nothing confusion, confusing in here. There's a lot of depth. Amen. It can be a bit meaty sometimes. But the Bible says that God reveals things to us from faith to faith. Amen. So as we continue to walk with God, he reveals more and more to us that we are able to handle. Amen. The Bible is very clear. Just like the instructions that God gave Adam and Eve, it was very clear. But the enemy had to open up his mouth. He had to start twisting the words of God around. In Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 8, it says, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? So already he's getting Eve to question the simplicity of the word of God. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the tree of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it lest you die. So Eve had enough boldness to quote the word of God back to the enemy. So she knew it. Verse 4 says, then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, lies, for God knows that on the day you eat, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes and desirable to make one wise, she took of the fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were open and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. Here's where the enemy tricks us. Here's where he gets us off guard. Here is his agenda in verse 8. And it says, and they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of God among the trees of the garden. 
Did we get that? God, God said to Adam and Eve, here is your paradise. I have everything that you need. Everything that you need is in me. And my spirit created everything around you, and you have my spirit as well. Adam and Eve, you're good to live life. I created you to worship. All I need you to do is worship and just live in bliss and harmony with whatever I created you to have. Your best asset, Adam and Eve, is me. Your best resource is me. Don't fight for resources when you have the source standing in front of you, Adam and Eve. I have everything that you need. But then when they sinned, they allowed shame and guilt to hide themselves from the presence of God. It drew them away from God instead of bringing them closer to God. How many times do we allow our shame and our guilt to bring us away from God instead of coming to the altar? How many times do we allow the enemy to hinder our worship because we're, we, too, we feel too guilty to lift our hands and worship God because we're thinking about what we did last week? Amen? How many times do we allow the enemy to, to hinder our prayer because the enemy whispers in our ear and says that God does not hear our prayer? God wanted Adam and Eve to draw close to them close back to them, instead of hiding themselves. They hid themselves from their creator. They hid themselves from the great physician. They hid themselves from the ones who can restore. They hid themselves from the one who can redeem them. They hid themselves from the very ones that gave them life. And because of that, they surrounded themselves with darkness. When we are not worshiping, we are not walking in the light, but in the dark. I'm going to say that again because I think that sometimes here, at our church, we do worship very well. We do church very well. But I think sometimes there's a hindrance in our worship because there's no electrifying experience when it comes to a spirit of unity of worship. When you're not, God created us to worship. That's, that's the only reason why he created us, to worship him, which means that if we're not worshiping, we're not walking in the light. We're walking in the dark. So if our arms are crossed and we're not worshiping, you need to understand where you are. Amen? We have to worship God because that's why we were created. We're living below our means and why we were created when we're not glorifying the name of God. And it's not because God is selfish. When we worship God, we're magnifying his name. And we're making ourselves sober of who he is. So that when we are going through situations, we know that he's the king of kings and the, the Lord of lords. We know that he's the bright morning star. We know that he has all power of death, hell, and the grave when we're worshiping God. That's the benefit of worship. It, it's not only just to give God glory. He says that you need to have a sober understanding of who I am. And you find that in your worship when you're magnifying his name. And when you're not worshiping, you're just in darkness. And when you're dark and everything around you is sinful, you can't see anything. Nothing's clear. I want, you, I want you to imagine, use your imagination for a second. Imagine that you're in a very dark place. And I'm not just talking about in an emotional dark place, but you're physically somewhere in a dark place. And you can't see the person in front of you, let alone your hand, if you were to wave it in front of your face in front of you. You hear a lot of voices because in this dark place, there's a lot of other people around you. There's a lot of commotion. You don't know which way is right. You don't know which way is left. You just, you, you just know that there's a lot taking place around you. You don't know which voices you can trust. So it makes sense in this dark place for you to be scared. 
It makes sense for you to be fearful. It makes sense for you to worry when you're in this very dark place. But I want you to imagine a candle just appearing in your hand and someone lights that candle. You can see with that candle in your immediate environment. You can see a little bit more than you were able to see before. Imagine with that candle, before you couldn't see the neighbor to your right or to your left. You couldn't see any danger, but it's not enough light, but it's good enough because it wasn't what you had before. You're just grateful to have this little bit of light. And I believe that there's many people who are living off of a candlestick amount of light. God says, I have so much more abundance for you. I want you to be so vibrant, but you're complacent with this little bit of light that you have. But I want you to imagine that little bit of light making a bonfire. I love how Brother Vinny Azzellini, when he was here, he talked about a bonfire. In this context, the bonfire provides so much light to your entire surrounding area. But what happens when you light a candle in the midst of darkness. The darkness pushes out. And so the best way that you can overcome the darkness that surrounds you is to be a little brighter. It's to worship God a little harder. It's to jump, to scream, and shout a little bit. Because the enemy leaves when you begin to shine in that way. He leaves when you begin to worship in a way that he did not expect. Because he thought that because he had you in a certain situation that you weren't going to worship. He thought because he put that hardship in your life that you weren't going to give your tithe and your offering. He thought that because you lost somebody in your family that you were going to turn on God and not worship and praise him anymore. He thought that you were going to lose your salvation. But when you begin to praise God and exalt his name and the spirit of God begins to move on you, the enemy begins to leave. And the issue is that many people, they allow the hardships of life to consume them. And they never experience victory. And they're living on just a little bit of light. And that little bit of light is just the notion that God is real. That little bit of light is just the notion that God could if he wanted to move. But the bonfire is, evidence, is the evidence that God has already begun to move. Amen? Praise God right now. Clap your hands unto the Lord if you believe that. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. The devil has a plan. If we're going to take anything away from today's message, I want you to let... I want you to leave with that idea. The devil has a plan for your life. I'm not here to, to cast a, a cloud over, every, in, over anybody's life. The devil has a plan for your life. And if we're not aware of the plan, he will sideline us and catch us off guard. If he can convince you that you are just flush living in and surrounded by darkness, then he has you. And he can therefore convince you that you are of this world and not just in it. He can make you feel like you are the sin that surrounds you. He can make you feel like you are the darkness and there is no way to overcome it. And so therefore, pressure you to embrace it. Many people are guilty of this. You feel as though that you can't overcome it, so you just identify with it. With this, he can deceive you into thinking that the nothing he has to offer you is the best offer you will ever have in life. I'm going to say that again. He will convince you that the nothing that he has to offer you is the best offer you will ever have in life. And many people give up God, who is everything, for an offer of Satan who has nothing for you. If he can convince you that you are just empty, decaying flesh, surrounded by darkness, then it makes sense, again, for you to embrace the darkness that surrounds you. Because there's no hope in that. It makes sense for you to identify with depression and hopelessness and pessimism and anger and toxic behavior. All these things make sense. If you're just living in darkness and all you are is just 
a bag of bones. But I come to tell you today that even though the devil has a plan for your life, God has a bigger and a better plan. And in this plan, he has these thoughts that he thinks towards you, not to harm you, but to give you hope in a future. His plan is for you to see that you are not that you are not flesh surrounded by darkness, but you are rather light that is, is surrounded by darkness. And the brighter you are, the brighter you shine, the more the darkness is pushed away. His desire is for you to understand that even though you may be in this world, you're not of it. That with his grace, we are just sojourners passing through. His desire is for us to understand that our past does not dictate our future. While we may suffer challenges in life, the challenges don't define us. Your challenges and your past does not define you. Why? Because the suffering of this present time is not worthy to be compared to the glory of God that is to be revealed in us. God gets his glory from our suffering. Hear me carefully. God gets his glory from your suffering. You might say, well, Brother Brooks, that's not fair. How does God get glory from my suffering? Because all the things that the enemy has thrown at you, you're still standing. Because every single time that he tries to knock you out, you're still breathing. You still have breath in your lungs. All the times that he started planting these thoughts inside your head, you should take your life. You're still here right now. You, you, you should divorce your spouse. Y'all still here right now. Amen? You're still standing. You're still here. God, the, am I preaching to somebody right now? Am I, am I ministering to somebody's spirit right now? God gets his glory by, based on how you overcome. Because in the book of Job, God understood how glory worked. And he understood the power of an individual who has his spirit. Amen? Satan walks up to the council. He walks up to God. God says, where are you coming from? Satan says, I I'm coming from the earth. I've been walking around. I've been looking at some stuff. And God begins to talk about Job, and God puts Job on the spot. Mind you, Job is nowhere around as God is having this conversation. And God says to the enemy, have you considered my servant Job? Have you considered the one who's doing everything right? Have you considered the, the worshiper of worshipers? Have you considered the righteous one? And Satan said to God that the only reason why he's doing what he's doing is because like Adam and Eve, you're blessing him. And God said, go try Job. Test him. See what happens. Have you ever thought about the hardships that you face in life, whether or not God is testing you? Whether or not he's trying to show you something or whether or not he's rubbing you in the enemy's face? That devil you try, but you can't have them. You can try to take away their finances. You can try to take away their family. You can try to take away loved ones. You can try to take away their job, but they're still going to worship me. They're still going to praise me. They're still going to exalt my name, amen. Have you ever thought about it being a trial in life? God gets his glory in our suffering. And you might say, well, I hear you, but I suffer and I don't feel like I'm doing all right. I hear you, but I don't see what you're talking about. I don't feel victorious. I have many things happening in my life right now. And to you, I come to tell you that do not fall for the trick of the enemy. The devil will deceive you by using the issues of life to control your behavior. Your situation should not control your mood. Your situations in life should not control your mood. What the devil does is this. He will take a hardship in life like finances and say that because you are going through financial hardship that affects your family, here's how you should respond. And we respond that way.
You should be angry when you lose a loved one. That's what, the, that's what the enemy starts speaking to us. You lose your job and you start thinking about how it affects your family. You should be so mad right now. And you should take that anger out on everybody else around you. Amen? When you're going through a season of loneliness, he, he tries to extract you from the flock, from the body of Christ. And he starts saying, the reason that you're feeling the way that you're feeling is because everybody over there. He takes the physical and he attacks you with the spiritual. It's not flesh and blood. Losing somebody is not the real issue. Amen? Finances is not the real issue. People that you deal with on a day-to-day -day is not the real issue. God is saying that what the enemy does is he takes the issues of life and he convinces you that that's who you are. And he tells you how to feel about what you're struggling with. He takes the very thing that you can't see and he attacks you with it. Something that you can't see but something that you can feel. He takes the physical and the tangible. And he tries to change how you feel about God. He tries to tell you to, how, to, how to feel about the people that are, that's around you. He tries to change your perspective. Much like in the Garden of Eden, he changed her perspective. He got her to do something that she knew was not the will of God. It should not limit your worship, but it should draw you to magnify God when you're going through a difficult time. I want to share this thought with you. Right before I close, if the musicians can please come forward, I want to share this thought. You can stay seated for a moment, but if the musicians can please come. I used to struggle so much with hardships in life. I, I know what it's like to be poor and to have nothing and to, to live out of your car and to not know where your next meal is coming from. And I remember when I went through that when I was younger, I saw how my mother deal with it. And being a good mother, she did her best to shield us from a lot of those things. And so a lot of times there's this joke that I, that I often hear that poor people don't know that they're poor. Amen. Or at least poor kids don't know that they're poor. Amen. I didn't know that I was poor until my mama told me that we were poor because I kept asking for money. Amen. <laughs> but I saw how she handled the hardship. The amount of times that I would barge into her room because parents have no privacy. The amount of times that I barged into her room and she was knee deep in prayer. Crying with tears because she didn't know how to take care of her five kids. Hardship. And she is supposed to pick up the Bible and read it. And then you go to something like Matthew chapter five and it says that you're blessed and she didn't feel blessed. How was that possible? God, I am blessed, but I don't, I don't see anything around me that feels blessed. I don't, I, I don't feel victorious in my situation. She struggled with that. And I didn't understand why she continued to pay tithe and offering when we didn't have any tithe and offering to pay. I didn't understand why we barely had any food, food in the house, but she would go downstairs to the garage because we lived in an apartment complex, and she would take a sandwich that she made better than the ones that she would make for us, and she would take it and feed it to the homeless because she served in excellence. I, I didn't get it. Not until I was in the same situation. When I lost my job, 
and I was living out of my car and I was eating on wheat thins and drinking water and not knowing if I was going to have money to get to church because I was driving from Columbus to Athens, not, not, not knowing any of these things. But I noticed halfway through this season that I still had happiness, I still had joy, I still had gentleness, I still had kindness, I still had the fruit of the Spirit because the Lord taught me that the fruit of the Spirit is not contingent based on circumstances. That in fact, I've given you the fruit of the Spirit so that you can survive through these difficult and tough seasons. If we can all stand, we can all stand. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus gave a revolutionary message. He gave a word that made a lot of people confused. And it was not that the word in itself was confusing. It was just something that was so beyond them, it was foreign to them. The idea that those who are suffering in life are the blessed people of God. I want to read you something right now. Because God ministered to those who were hurt. He ministered to the pain, those who were in pain. He ministered to the sick. He ministered to the single mom and the single father. He ministered to the orphan. He ministered to those who had certain infirmities that they were dealing with, those who didn't know where their next meal was coming from. And it was confusing that all these people who came up to the mountain, they traveled up. Like many of us, we all traveled to the sanctuary today. We all came to the house of God, and many of them had different motives on to why they traveled. And at this time, many people wanted to hear from Jesus because they got wind of who he was and what he did. And many of us are here right now because of we heard about who God is and what he did, and we wanted to be a part of that. Amen? And God began to give a sermon that revolutionized how people would view themselves and how they would view God. He says in Matthew chapter 5, he says to them that they are blessed. Amen? He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Verse 3 says, blessed, excuse me, verse 4 says, blessed are they that mourn. For they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 11, I love it. It says, blessed are ye. When men revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil about you because you follow me. But all these people who are struggling, all these people who are dealing with difficulties in life, all these people who are worried about tomorrow, even though God says do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow has its own issues. He's, he's giving you a heads up that tomorrow's going to be hard too. But he also says that your heavenly father knows what you have need of. So don't worry about it. And he says that as you take care of my kingdom, I will take care of you. But these people who are expecting to receive a miracle, they're, they're expecting the Messiah to come and kill off the Romans because that was their oppressor at the time. 
His message was different. He says that, hey, in that dark world that you're trying to escape, he says that you are the light in that world. I need you to use your suffering to bless my kingdom. God, how do I use my hardship? How do I use my suffering to bless your kingdom? He says, I want you to show other people the way. When people see you, I want them to think of me. When people see how you're dealing with hardship, they're going to know how to deal with hardship. When they see how you overcome grief, they're going to know how to overcome grief. When they ask you questions, your answer is going to be Jesus. Your answer is going to be King of Kings. Your answer is going to be, let me tell you about someone who told me everything that I ever did. I'm, I'm not going to push anybody to come to altar call right now. This altar call is simply for those who will. For those who desire to have this understanding. God, I want the suffering of this present time to be worthy of the glory that is to be revealed in me. God, I want your glory found in my life. God, when people look at my life, I don't want them to see brokenness. I don't want them to see somebody battered. I, when somebody looks at me, I don't want them to see abuse. I don't want them to see pain. I want them to see somebody that when the enemy has tried to knock them down, they got back up because of the grace and the mercy of God was sufficient and it allowed them to do it. In the name of Jesus, right now is altar call. Don't, don't let me push you. Just respond to it. God, use me. God, you know my need. God, you know my struggles. And so, God, I'm not going to state the obvious. I'm just going to let you know that however you work it out, I'm going to use it to glorify your kingdom. God, I want to use my story to be a testimony. God, I want you to open up my eyes so that I can see how you're moving in my situation. God, I'm tired of feeling like a victim. God, I'm tired of the pain and I'm tired of the hurt. I'm tired of not feeling blessed. I'm tired of allowing my situation to determine my mood. God, I'm tired of the mood swings. I'm tired of lashing out on my family. I'm tired of lashing out on my kids. God, I want to be happy. God, I want the fruit of the Spirit manifested in my life. Does anybody want that this morning? That God, I want the blessings. God, I want your love. And God, I'm telling you that I'm going to worship you through it all. Because here's what the Bible tells us. It tells us in Acts chapter 1. Verse 8, and it says, and they heard the sound of the Lord walking, excuse me, that they would, that they would receive power when the Holy Spirit comes. God has given you power in the middle of your situation, in the middle of your struggle, in the middle of your issues. He says that you have power. And as pastor tells us all the time, you have more power in your pinky than all of the enemy has. It's the reason why the enemy does not attack you head on. It's the reason why he has to deceive you into self-destructing. If you're still in your pew, that's okay. I just want you to just extend your hands to those who are at the altar. And we're just going to say a prayer that they leave this altar knowing that they're not victims, knowing that they're not the issues that they face, knowing that they are the light in their situation. Father, right now in the name of Jesus, Lord, we come before you as humbly as we know how.
God, we thank you, dear Lord, for the revelation, dear God, that you have given us, dear Lord, that we are more than conquerors, that we are the head and not the tail, dear God. We thank you, Jesus, for shining a light, dear God, unto our path, dear God. We thank you, dear Lord, for such a move of the Spirit, dear God. Father, we pray right now, dear God, that every individual, dear Lord, kneel down on this altar, dear God, that your Spirit would move on them in such a way, dear God, that they would not draw away from the body, but that they would connect more so with the body, that they would not silence their voices, dear God, but that they would learn how to pray in boldness, dear God, that they would learn to worship you, dear God, in spirit and in truth, dear God. I pray that they would learn to exalt you in a new way, dear God, that there's something different, uh, something more pronounced, uh, something more definitive, dear God, about who they are, dear God, in their worship, dear Lord. In the name of Jesus, dear God, we pray this prayer right now. Father, I pray that you would bless the body of Christ. Draw us closer together. Let nothing divide us, dear God. But keep us as one, dear Lord, one mind, one body, and one spirit, dear God. And Father, dear God, when one of us is sick and when one of us is hurting, dear God, I pray that we would all gather around, dear Lord. And I pray that we would, be, would begin to minister to our brothers and our sisters. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I wish that everybody would just lift their hands and linger in this atmosphere. And just worship the Lord in the beauty of his holiness. Not because you desire to, not because you want to, although that may be the case, but simply because he deserves it. Make yourself aware of who he is. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus.